This episode is brought to you by Thorn, the industry leader in nutritional solutions. Now, Thorn is actually trusted by eight U.S. national teams and championship teams in the NFL, NBA, and Major League, as well as recently becoming the official sports performance nutrition partner of the UFC. So when it comes to supplements... The tactical athlete space and the athletic space need two things. We need efficacy, meaning the products do what they say they're going to do on the label. And then we need to trust the fact that we are not going to fail either athletic drug tests or work-related drug tests. Now, Thorne has actually been around since the 1980s, where they were used by physicians and hospitals for nutritional supplements for the patients. They were so successful that athletic teams and even special operations teams reached out to them and they started supplying them as well. Very recently, they actually opened their doors to the general public. Now, what sets Thorne apart is they manufacture their own products in a state-of-the-art NSF-certified facility in South Carolina. They use only the purest possible ingredients formulated with no stearates or arbitrary fillers in the cleanest manufacturing process. Most of you listening come from a profession where it can take its toll physically and mentally, and many of us are not able to bolster our nutrition purely with the food that we eat. And that's where supplementation comes in. So if you're ready to maximize your health and performance, visit thorn.com, T-H-O-R-N-E.com. Take a short product quiz to be paired up with the perfect health and fitness supplements. And for you, the audience, if you use the code BTS10, behind the shield 10, BTS10, you will get 10% off your first order. And if you want to learn even more about Thorn, go to episode 323 of Behind the Shield podcast and you will hear my interview with Wes Barnett and Joel Totoro from Thorn. This episode is sponsored by 511, a company that I've used for well over a decade and continue to use to this day. And 511 is offering you guys, the audience of the Behind the Shield podcast, a discount on every purchase you make with them. Before we get to that code, I want to highlight a couple of products that, again, I personally use today. One of the most impressive products they just released is their Rush Backpack 2.0. Now, for many of you, whether you're going to the fire station, the police station, whether you're traveling with your family, whether you're taking training courses, we have to fly, we have to drive, we have to take trains. And I have to say, I own multiple backpacks, many of uh, 5.11's different ones, but as far as a day pack, this one was the most impressive. There are so many different compartments. The way it sits on your back is incredibly comfortable. If you are a concealed carry person, there's also a spot for a weapon. So they've thought of multiple, multiple things that a man or woman would have to do on a daily basis. That is in addition to all of the products that I talk about a lot. Their uniforms fit for men or fit for women in the first responder professions. The footwear that they offer, whether it's the Norris sneaker or the Atlas system that is designed for foot health and therefore knees and back and hips and shoulders and neck. As a civilian, I live in a lot of their clothes as well. Their jeans stretch. You can actually squat down in them. We live in Florida here, so I wear a lot of their shorts, which again, very, very lightweight material. You can get it wet and it will dry almost immediately. And then moving to the fitness and tactical space, I used to have just a regular weight vest. Recently, I switched to a 511 vest and actually bought ballistic plates as well. My thinking was simply, if I'm going to have a vest, why not I have one that protects me as well? And that TAC vest is trusted by law enforcement all around the country. So I mentioned they were going to offer you a discount code. So if you go to 511tactical.com and enter the code SHIELD15, S-H-I-E-L-D-1-5, 
you will get 15% off not just that one purchase, but every time you visit their store. And if you want to learn more about 5.11, their mission, their products, then listen to episode 338 of the Behind the Shield podcast with the CEO and founder, Francisco Morales. Welcome to episode 581 of Behind the Shield podcast. As always, my name is James Gearing, and this week it is my absolute honor to welcome on the show Ben Patrick. Now, Ben may be more familiar by his online handle, Knees Over Toes Guy. And after finding Ben's work and applying it to my own knee injuries and knee pain, I was amazed how well it worked. So I sought him out and ultimately visited him at his gym in Clearwater, Florida. So we discuss a host of topics from how we're damaging our youth athletes, his own knee injury journey that led him into the rehab journey that he's on now, the societal and sporting elements that are creating knee and shoulder pain, the tools he brings through his ATG program, and so much more. Before we get to this amazing conversation, as I say every week, please just take a moment, go to whichever app you listen to this on, subscribe to the show, leave feedback, and leave a rating. Every five-star rating truly does elevate this podcast, therefore making it easier for others to find. And this is a free library for you, planet Earth. So all I ask in return is that you help share these incredible men and women's stories so I can get them to every single person who needs to hear them. So with that being said, I introduce to you Ben Patrick. Enjoy. Well, Ben, I want to start by saying thank you so much for inviting me here to uh, your training space here in Clearwater. You, you put me through a in-person ATG session, which was incredible. So I signed up, uh, I think it was like two and a half months ago, in following your zero, zero program. But uh, yeah, just want to start by saying thank you so much for inviting me here today. That means a lot. And man, you didn't disappoint. I was very impressed. <laughs> Well, I mean, like I said, you're incredibly fit. Well, it was also following your program. Credit where credit's due. If it had been no training at all, I wouldn't be able to do some of those movements. But that's cool. It's, it's testament to the zero program and you know moving on to that. So we are sitting here in Florida. I would love to start chronologically at the very beginning of your timeline and kind of walk through that way. So tell me where you were born, and mm-hmm. then tell me a little bit about your family dynamic, what your parents did, and how many siblings. Yeah, uh, only child born in San Jose, California. My parents worked in office management, so um, like where you have a little office park, and then you run the places and lease them. And so I was definitely grew up in the kind of in the service industry, observing them crazy hard work ethic, very responsible. Like they took it on themselves to have every office rented out. You have tenants calling. This isn't working. That needs to be fixed. So they were so hard working to service other people, to give them uh, really high exchange for what they were getting. And I grew up working with them from the time I was a little kid. I'd be tagging along, doing physical labor type stuff. So I grew up with a heavy emphasis, a heavy value on work ethic, hard physical labor. Um, Yeah, that, that was my upbringing. Okay, now what about sports? What were you playing back then? I was obsessed with basketball. So... I think when you become obsessed with one sport at a very young age, it could give you an advantage in this skill, but 
a lot of people have wrecked their bodies that way. So probably every sport has something negative about it physically. In basketball, it's usually for the knees because you're just the nature of the sport. You're jumping so much. You're pounding on your knees so much. There's no example in history that a human body was designed to be jumping like 500 times a day. Jumping could be used for certain things, but in basketball, we overdo it. So our knees end up super stressed out. So by 12, I already had like terrible chronic knee pain. So talk to me about that journey because I've, I've had a lot of coaches on here talking about youth athletes and it seems that to foster resilience and overall performance and health, the multi-sport athletes seem to do very, very well. What, when did you really get passionate about um, basketball? At what age? And then what were you doing wrong as such a young child that already had a, a negative effect on your knees by the time you were 12? Yeah, good question. So right around eight years old or so, is when I started playing on teams that would travel to other cities. And so what that did is it showed me, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm not very good compared to these other players. They're faster than me. They jump higher than me. So by eight, I already knew if I was going to make it in basketball, I needed some kind of an advantage. So what was clear to me is if I just outworked everybody, that would give me an advantage, a way to keep up with better players than me naturally. So by nine, I was already doing jump programs. So I'm playing basketball as much as I can. And then on top of that, doing jump program after jump program at age nine, 10, 11. So by 12, like my knees were already, my knees were already shot and in chronic pain. And it would take me a very long time to warm up. The muscles didn't quite develop right because when you're in pain, you stop bending your knees. Things don't form during those ages that they're supposed to form. So that was kind of what did it for me is obsession with basketball, realizing I wasn't as good naturally as other players. So then overdoing it to try to be as good as them. Well, through just kind of coming to your adult lens for a second, when you look at the way some of our youth athletes are trained, what are you seeing are the good philosophies? And then what are some of the bad ones that are injuring our children? Well, it seems like the more it deviates from what's natural for a human body. So a sport like basketball is going to have too much jumping and pounding on the joints. Uh, for baseball, it's going to be like too much throwing. A human body isn't designed to throw that much. So you kind of have different options. You could do the sport less. That's actually worked out for a lot of people. A lot of times people aren't looking at it now and realizing Michael Jordan wasn't even interested in basketball when he was 12. There would Michael Jordan wouldn't have been Michael Jordan if he would have been as serious as I was at eight with chronic knee pain by the time he was 12. He played baseball. He was just a kid. By the time he was 14, 15, he didn't even make the local varsity high school team. So he didn't get serious in basketball until these muscles were already forming. So as soon as you start specializing in a sport, you now could be subject to adverse reactions of the sport. So the moment you start specializing, you need to actually start training to prevent that. So that would be one strategy. Someone could say, okay, I'm going to specialize, but I'm going to need to train these areas to be more protected. Or you could, you could not specialize, play a variety of sports. Um, so it's, I mean, it's kind of common sense. Certain of these sports have certain overuse injuries. So you either, you either train to prevent those overuse injuries or you balance it out and do different activities. Mm -hmm. Well, you talked about travel balls too. That's something I've, I've spoken to with a few 
coaches now, like we're in Florida at the moment. Obviously, there are professional, I mean, sorry, there are high level, you know, sports teams in, in all our kind of educational um, counties. Yep. It always seemed crazy to me as well to these kids pack up and go to, you know, Georgia and the Carolinas and all over the place to play sports at 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, when there are probably teams that are more than capable of challenging them locally that takes the stress and the financial element away from the parents of sending their kids away for days on end. Yeah, and then because you're gathering on a weekend somewhere that you have very little time together, you're cramming in five, six, seven games in a single weekend. So that's also a total deviation from what's natural. It's not natural to go play basketball five, six, seven games. Have you looked at an NBA schedule? No one plays five, six, seven games over a two-day period. It doesn't happen. So usually you have certain players will survive and they'll be healthy or maybe they didn't play that much. Even LeBron James played football and basketball. So automatically, LeBron James played way less basketball than I did at the same ages. I'm talking every day, 365 days a year, no other sports, just basketball and training for basketball. That's not natural. And then going to these tournaments, five, six, seven games in a weekend. So Michael Jordan, LeBron James, even Kobe Bryant grew up in Europe. So he skipped all those years that I was playing five, six, seven games in a weekend. Kobe Bryant wasn't. He was in Italy, is that right? Yeah. Yeah. He wasn't. And and both Kobe and LeBron have spoken out against these these youth travel sports. I get the desire to compete, but my kid will just play in my local leagues here. And here's another massive deviation. Um it used to be more normal for dads to be active with kids. So the more out of shape dads get, the more their kids are having to go travel to find tough competition. When you're a dad, you can kick your kid's ass at those age. That's the best thing I can give my kid. My kid is going to have such a tough time beating me in basketball. So he's never going to have to go do five, six, seven games in a weekend. We'll go play one game on the weekend together. And he'll be able to play against me, men. So he'll go through, and a lot of the top NBA players were in situations like that, where they were having to play against men. So you have this beautiful process where you can be a prolific 12, 13, 14, 15, 16-year-old athlete. And if you play against your, just in your local area, if you play against men, you can become way superior than if you're just playing against kids your age. So I think that's another massive deviation. The more out of shape dads get, the more broken down the kids will get. See, it's fascinating to hear because I've talked about that quite a bit coming from England. And again, not that where I came from was this amazing, you know, everything was was taken care of and everything was perfect, far from it. But the philosophy was definitely different. When you come to the U.S., you see these high school and collegiate athletes, you know, depending on obviously what position they play and what sport, at a very, very high level, strength, you know, um, fitness, explosion. But then you see a drop-off and, you know, for lack of a better term, we have a bunch of Uncle Ricos that are in their 20s talking about how they coulda, woulda, shoulda in whatever sport. In the UK, you play football, soccer, um, in school. Obviously, there's a very, very select few that go off and play professionally. But people keep playing, whether it's football, rugby, yeah. cricket. They play local leagues. They play pub, pub leagues, whatever it is. But you see that continuance of sport. And that's one thing that's terrifying to me. And I think that's why we get so many parents living vicariously through their children 
because yep. they just stop. And yep. I don't, I don't know what we can do to change. And maybe it's you know, through PE, for example, creating healthy kids and resilient kids. But how we can bring more of that European element, because it's not just the UK, you see it all over Europe, where you don't just hit a, a wall from absolute peak performance to yep. zero the moment yep. you graduate high school or college. Yeah. And it can, it can easily change. Powerful people with integrity change the world. So someone like LeBron James, he has the power to actually change the system. But that's going to take a lot of integrity and a lot of work for him. So I'm one of those people who's just going to keep waking up every day. Like I'm not, I'm not giving into the system. I'm going to make a better one. So that's what I do with my training. I have people of all ages sledding, sled, 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 sled. Any age can do it. It's low impact. You get cardio strength. You fix foot pains, knee pains. So that's an example. That's something that I can use the sled by using the sled forward and backward. I can directly rehabilitate someone's ability to run or play a sport. So then once a week on the weekend or whatever, they can keep that continuance of sport. So to me, the sled is the best tool to transition from out of shape or injured back into being able to do the continuance of the sport. So that's part of it. But I'm also, as I raise my kid, I'm going to be using my kid's educational process as a chance to create a different system physically. Because there's a number of deviations as we grow up that people aren't quite aware of that would make a big difference well I, I harp about on this film all the time now but i one of my guests mike salemi told me about a film called the motivation factor and it features uh, a high school in um it's la sierra high school kind of central california yeah and they had the super progressive coach in the 50s bring this new PE program and it was a tiered system so you wore like a certain color shorts when you started and I think there was three or four levels that you could test for you were in a team so you basically kind of try wow. to test as a team the footage of these seniors I from this school I think I saw it were they was there an image of them all with like a six pack yes like that's all of them. the one I saw that yes so I, I posted it quite a bit um because it just blows me all I had the, the director Doug Orchard who lives in Ormond Beach it's not too far from here Wow. on the show and again when you put a good PE program and back then you know the, even the school meals were still being made by people they weren't yep. processed and shipped in by Cisco um, I think every single kid in that school could do 10 pull-ups unbelievable yes now I, there's not many people I know that are adults even some athletes that can't do 10 pull-ups right. you know so in the CrossFit space they can kit but they can't do proper yep. strict so He's documented what happens when you put in a solid physical education program. And their philosophy is then when that's in place. And, you know, obviously now we fast forward and use some of the technology like, you know, the, the, the things that you teach. Now you want to be a basketball player, a football player, a baseball player. You have that resilient frame yep. that's already strong. It's already fit. And yep. then you go learn the skill. You end up being an even better athlete. Yep. You, you just nailed it. The balance of the body and the skill. So, so many careers break down on the body. They have an abundance of skill. So, when we just overstress that skill and don't address the body, then the body's your weakest link. So, that's what it was for me. My skill was light years ahead of my body. And this happens to a lot of young athletes. So, you need that balance of the body and the skill. And then it's actually quite easy to set yourself up to have a healthy career, to give yourself a fair shot. But I think it's really cool that... That school shows that it's totally possible that it can be done. And that means that every one of those graduates statistically 
is less likely to have health problems as they age. It's just statistics. So the fact that that all of them are fit, that that should be used as the model for American uh, high school education. Absolutely. Yeah, but and that's the thing. You don't need to reinvent the wheel. I talk about this even internationally. There, yeah. there are either counties or states or countries that do things really well. But like you said, it takes integrity and it takes humility to go, you know what? Can I ask you how you do this? Because this seems to be better than the way that we're doing it. Yep. Yeah, that's fascinating. I'm going to have fun studying that because what I'm doing here is, I mean, you're sitting here in my gym, but this gym, the workout on the board, people can do anywhere in the world. So that concept can work. I can just, I don't have to spread myself thin. I can focus on my craft and deliver a great product in one gym, but in this modern age, I can put it online. So unfortunately for the guy who ran that school that he did so well, without the social media being able to spread it, probably not enough people were aware of it. So in modern day, yes, bad news can spread faster, but so can good news. Anything can spread faster now. So my kid is, my baby's one and a half, and I'm going to make a school for him. It'll, who knows what will happen, but I'm making a school for my kid so that I can try to create a better curriculum, a better education system, and then I'll just make it so anyone can do it around the world. So an educator could use it or a parent could use it to educate their kid or they could put together their own school. I like the aspect of actually having a school so you get that social interaction. Um, but that's really cool because I'm going to be studying what they did at that school because they, they obviously succeeded and I believe success leaves clues. I believe it's so easy to be successful. You actually just go study directly what was successful and then you can apply that in your own way. So my, my whole knee system is based on these, the most successful cases through history with knees, not through some study or this or that where the information gets totally biased and misconstrued, but just people who are actually successful learning from that. So uh, when we're done, you'll definitely have to give me any leads and clues on, on that because it sounds amazing. Absolutely. And so I'll, I'll send you the episode because Doug talks about pulling his son from school and this crazy education he basically got him to read the classics as he, as he calls wow. it the ca- classics with a capital c so i think the first one was the odyssey and i think is ulysses is that another one but anyway his very very young child read it they tried to put him back in school and school was like we have nothing for him he's surpassed all our programs so he took Jeez. it back out again um so yeah i mean fascinating story and he has this kind of PE program so when i was there interviewing face to face his son was there and you know jacked wow. you know they've got all the all the equipment in the background indian clubs and all the old oh man and if you start at a young age it's so much easier mm-hmm. exactly you set like, the bar you knowing what norm. i know now i never would have had knee problems it would i mean it that's what's fascinating about it. if at that at those young ages everything is exponential whether it's good or bad and so you can put in at, at those ages it's so much easier to set people up for success later in life mentally and physically Absolutely. Well, you talked about obviously having a knee starting to hurt at 12. So walk me through your pursuit of basketball. And then ultimately, even though you technically had success with the thing that you were looking for, how that ended up taking you down the path of where you are now. Yeah. So because these chronic uh, knee problems were starting at age 12, that allowed me 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. I tried all the traditional methods. 
So I went to trainers, I went to physiotherapists, I went to doctors, I went to chiropractors, I went, so I tried everything. And overwhelmingly mainstream, when you have a problem with an area in America, is methods of avoiding it. So ice it, so that way you don't feel it. Um, Don't let your knees over your toes, that way you don't, quote unquote, stress your knee. So from 12 to 18, all I did is go through methods of avoidance. So I wind up with these absolutely pathetic knees that by the time I was 18, I finished high school on a walker uh, with partially artificial kneecap. Didn't play a single game my senior year of high school. So you'd had surgery before you were even 18 then? Yep. Yeah. So by the time I was 18, I was already just a bum, like a physical, just incapable, couldn't even play my sport. Uh, I had the skill level that I should have been enjoying my senior year playing and being able to be in high school games. And I already felt like an old man. And I had tried all these methods of avoidance, but it was also because I was such a, had such a savage work ethic. So I tested the system. So the traditional system doesn't work, leaves your knees vulnerable. And it scientifically avoids exactly what your knees need in order to heal and be strong and protected. So then I went just my own route. So now 19, 20, 21, 22, now you're talking four years of me experimenting only with stuff outside the box. So by 23, I was accepting a full-ride Division I basketball scholarship, one of the oldest players ever to get a full-ride Division I basketball scholarship. So I completely remade my knees from a player who couldn't play to a player who could play, and I played two years at a junior college. So 22, 23, I was playing at a junior college. I started every game. I played the most minutes on the team. So by 18, I was Mr. Fragile. By 22, 23, I had like the best knees on my team. And from that point, they only kept getting better. But it was at, I got this full ride scholarship at 23. And I got to the school and the strength coach at this prestigious Division One college said, you're not allowed to train your knees over your toes. That's how I got the scholarship. <laughs> Bending my knees all the way. Embracing full range of motion. Gradually rebuilding healthier, stronger joints. I was going to be prevented from doing that. So that was a totally eye-opening moment that I knew. Um, I knew, wow, my, my mission here is not about my basketball career. I'm one person. This means that basketball players everywhere are being led towards lives of depression and surgeries and painkillers. So that, that became my mission. So maybe it sounds crazy to be knees over toes guy, but if you look back on the journey I went through, it was pretty clear. I actually had no choice but to be knees over toes guy after being prevented from knees over toes through those younger years leading to weak knees, then using knees over toes to restore my knees and achieve my dreams of a division one basketball scholarship to only then get there and be told I can't train my knees over my toes equals, I mean, I had no choice. Had to be knees over toes guy. Well, and it's, it mirrors, you know, the journey that I've been. I talk a lot about the, the podcast is more about unlearning than learning. Yep. You know, and, and the, the, the foundation of this PE program was from the Russians, the Chinese, you know, the Indians. I mean, all these different movement practices that we've had for millennia that we disregarded out of a lot of arrogance and, you know, capitalism. Yep. You know, you know, our generation, we grew up with nutrition, like, oh, you got a bowl of pasta, you got to, you know, carb up before race and, you know, all your movements were bodybuilding movements. Yep. Um, and so 
for example, we, we talked before uh, we start recording foundation training after I hurt my back. Yep. A simple movement practice yep. was what ended up healing it. But the only advice I got from the medical world was steroids, opiates, and right. surgery. Right. You know, so, but I'm sure that coach had been through traditional, you know, ex-phys training as I have. And I've talked, you know, mixed emotions about that. Um, and it was probably coming from good intention. Oh, I'm yep. going to protect your knees. Yep. But sadly, you know, we're realizing now that a lot of things our generation has been taught in so many areas was just wrong and yep. sometimes came from a place of, of profit, not health and wellness. Yeah. I mean, I think if you look at our culture, we definitely assumed that technology, anything technology equaled better. Only now we're, we're learning, whoops, actually <laughs> technology can serve us, but what's natural is important too. <laughs> just repairing all our joints with surgeries is not nearly as good as naturally having a healthy body. So, it's very easy to understand how all this stuff came about. It's easy to understand why we assumed that, uh, that surgeries and complex drugs would be better for our joints than naturally having strong joints. So with the knees over the toes, with the full range of motion, if you were to take these younger students and have them just using their natural full range of motion, what that does is it provides motion and compression in the joint, which tells the body that you're maximally using the joint, which delivers nutrients to the joint. So you actually have stronger tendons and ligaments, the things that hold our knees together. So when you start limiting range of motion in the knee, your body then thinks you're not fully using the joint. So the knee actually decays faster. You wind up weaker inside your knee. So in sports teams, they're often dealing with athletes who have painful knees. So they avoid full range of motion because they don't know any tricks to get in there. So they're still training the muscle. So the muscles can fire, but the joints are weak. So it's almost like you're winding up with like, uh, with a lot of these elite male athletes, it's almost like they have the joints of, a, of an older person, but they have the muscles of a younger person. And so when they go out to perform, they wonder why they're having these freak joint injuries. But if you were to actually get down and measure it, they have thin, weak tendons and ligaments. They're internally weak because they don't train through a full range of motion. Well, talk to me about stress. I've heard you touch on this before because when you look at the word stress, you have eustress and you have distress. And yep. to me, the muscle imbalances, I mean, you know, what I, the journey of self-discovery I went with my back was, you know, there was, there was tightness and weakness in the posterior chain. My, my pelvis was tilted. So when I lifted this person, you know, my, my spine was basically like a pizza slice and the ligaments tore. Um, and, uh, you know, but then when you look at that, you realize, well, yeah, when you have, a column of strength around the spine it's not sitting on the bones themselves yep. you can create incredible positive stress so i've heard you talk about needing stress on these to create resilience and strength so i'd love to kind of expand on that a little bit yeah and it's it's no different than uh doing a push-up to put stress on the pectoral muscles but for the joint the joint actually has to go through a full range of motion to have stress on the joint so in your case if you think about the back Whatever you were doing in life, that amount of stress exceeded your body's capacity to handle stress. But the only way to increase the body's capacity to handle stress is by applying an amount of stress that you can handle without pain. So if you took um, something as simple as like dragging a sled backward, that gives you something that you can win at and you can apply stress to the knees at a level that doesn't hurt. 
So if it doesn't hurt, but you're able to actually get into these positions, then you can build up strength. So then you can handle these positions without pain. But if I just dropped someone with knee pain off a two-story house, that's also stress, but it's so much stress that it's going to actually tear things. So we're trying to provide an amount of stress at a level that you can handle without any pain. That's why if you start when you're young, it's much easier to have these areas protected. But we have people of all ages that are still seeing that you can make physical progress. The trick is the whole system is basically how to get into positions that you want to be good at, but then reducing the techniques or loads to a level where it's like, oh, wow, that feels good. And now, so now you're going through motions and you're providing that keyword stress. So you're providing that, but at a level that doesn't hurt, then your body recovers back a little bit stronger. And so you can change over time. So with all the traditional routes that you took that weren't helping, I've heard you talk about um, Charles Poliquin, for example. What were some of the, the great minds that brought the solutions to you? Yeah. So Charles Poliquin was the first person that I saw just clear as day say the knee that can go farthest and strongest over the toes is the most protected. Up to that point, I was only instructed no knees over toes. I was also instructed don't bend your knee below 90 degrees. Charles Poliquin also said that, that no, 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 the knee that can bend farther, the knee that can bend more and stronger is more protected. So that was super eye-opening. Had I not been through what I had been through, I probably would have dismissed the data. Because I had already been through all these methods of avoidance, because I had been through the opposite of what he was saying, I instantly knew when I saw that, I went, that is truth. From there, I just went down the research rabbit hole, read everything he's ever written many times over. He was a little bit older and didn't have videos of himself doing what he was talking about with the knees. I couldn't, so there's no videos of what he was talking about, but he had disciples who had videos. So one of his disciples, Keegan Smith, an Australian strength coach, he had videos of performing these full range of motion and knees over toes exercises. So I used that as like a framework for my form. And now Keegan's one of my best friends and he actually runs our certification program. So oh, together, brilliant. yeah. So, <laughs> so my business is ATG. It's the super simple business where what I'm doing in the gym, these regressions that I've figured out, people can do it anywhere. And then together we run ATG for coaches. So we have over 600 coaches around the world um, who are being certified in ATG. And so it's funny how that came full circle. So he's, to this day, he's still my mentor, still helping me fine tune the educational process for people on this. Um, but that was really it. Because of what I had been through, when I saw that from Charles Poliquin, I knew that was the answer. However, because I was super fragile, I had to figure out more, I had to figure out lower levels of this. So you take something that's ideal. So I could see Keegan Smith doing it. And I was like, I want my knees to be able to do that but my knees can't do that without excruciating pain. So, I mean, something as simple as just sitting down in a squat position with your knees bent all the way, something like that seemed like climbing a mountain to me back when my knees were so bad and with partially artificial kneecap that was never supposed to fully bend again. So what I did is I just figured out lower levels than had been used. So 
um, by figuring out lower levels and then putting in the work at those levels, then I was able to restore what should be natural, what a lot of people don't even think twice about. A lot of people in foreign countries, it would actually be very hard to explain to them. <laughs> people in foreign Why countries... Why you can't get in the squad. Yeah, like, <laughs> like I've had people comment and they are completely confused by me teaching a full range of motion because they're just in that position regularly. So it's so weird for them to see <laughs> like that some people are actually limiting human range of motion. Yeah. Yeah. No, and it's interesting because I mean, yeah, you look at Asia and you look at some of the, the less developed countries and yeah. these elderly men and women are, you know, working the land and hunting and yep. incredible, you know, and some of the, the Asian cultures, they'll sit in that full squat for hours. And yet I'm not going to point at other people. Me, if I try to sit and squat for 10 minutes, yep. I'd be in pain. And yeah. then, you know, as you, as you pointed we out have, before, I'm not the least in shape person on the planet either. But yeah, the, for, the sitting and all America, that stuff. In America, you're a gem. <laughs> so that just shows. But look at the years that we've lived unnaturally. Exactly. So we're trying to restore that. But you're really looking at, at a lifetime, at years, maybe decades for most of us, of letting our knees decay. Now, with Keegan for a second, having had Charles's teaching, and you know, sadly we lost him you know, a couple of years ago now, I think it was, but carrying that on, what was he seeing trying to coach through that lens with what was being taught with most of the, the strength and conditioning community? I think, um, I think Keegan felt the frustration of knowing how much better the system could be, but seeing how entrenched the system is in its ways. So I think that's why we really connected is that he was able to guide me, but he could see like that I was going to like go big and actually try to change the system. So together we just kind of would hype ourselves up like, look, like the future's unwritten. Like we could actually do this. Like we can actually change things for sports. And it's only just barely starting to happen, but it is actually happening. And players are getting more freedom in their training. So um, that's, that's still what Keegan and I are waking up for in the morning is actually trying to change the system. And Charles was such a genius, but the system wasn't changing. And I think that made him very frustrated. So I saw with Charles that um, he had all the tools. He had all the genius. And I think I realized that my responsibility was going to be taking that genius and then applying my mind, not to being right, not to being a genius, but to what would actually get it to work, how to actually get that data applied. And so figuring out these scalable sort of routes and then studying social media, how do I actually reach millions of people? Okay, so millions of people have data that has now been proven incorrect, but it's in the college textbooks. So how do I counteract that? Well, I'm gonna have to master social media. So this is what I did starting about, about three years ago, I was like, okay, the same focus I have on being the best coach I can be, I'm gonna have to put that same study into social media and how to reach people. So now we're pretty stoked with things because we're seeing that it's, we really can produce change. We really can win. The truth doesn't have to be the obscure, uh, attacked thing. We actually can bring truth to light. So it's, it's really exciting. Yeah. Well, and it's bringing that technology, the good side of technology, because I think social media is an incredible tool 
I agree. But has been abused and obviously has, has really kind of broken down a lot of social elements. But you found a way of getting people's attention and getting them to learn without wearing a bikini, yep. for example. Yep. I tried that. I got like two views. I mean, I'm, I'm trying that next week. <laughs> so, <laughs> But if it is that, because yeah, there is an art to it. And we discussed before, you know, it's challenging for me because I don't want my face out there. I want the focus to be on, on you know, the people that come on with the solutions. But I even in the few things that I do, I see that juggling act between capturing the initial attention with that opening moment and then maintaining that attention to the point where you can deliver good content because i've put lots of stuff out there that's been brilliant content and as i've heard you talk about too it's barely even watched and then i've done things as we talked about before we start recording like done a spinning hydrant a spinning kick on a fire hydrant yeah. and goes viral you know yeah. so it's it's heartbreaking really I know. um so you know what what were some of the ways that you were able to to kind of solve that puzzle and combine that shiny object with with the content actually being you know absorbed by the viewer yeah uh sounds super simplistic but for me it was dunking because with dunking i could do something that people tend to those type of videos it's not like it's the most viral thing on the internet but the throwing down a dunk seems to capture the attention like it's a it's this action thing and it's also people kind of inherently know like yeah, if, if you're if you're not tall and you have terrible knees, that's like impossible to do. So really just using that to show, to capture the attention. And then I often in these videos, I'm going from dunking to showing exercise regressions that people can do at any age. So to me, that's really, um, that's where I found is the best marketing is like my purpose in the video is to get across and show someone something that they can actually do, but I'm going to try to use something to capture the attention in order to get them to watch to the point of seeing how they could actually progress. In the fire service, when we talk about knee injuries, it, it, it's sad because this mirrors. So if we talk about PTSD, they always talk about, oh, it's what we saw on the job. Absolutely an element but a very small piece of the pie when you look at sleep deprivation, childhood trauma, all these other areas. Same with cancer. You know, we talk about what we're exposed to. We don't talk about what we eat, our exercise level, sleep again. And when it comes to knees, the one thing I hear over and over again is, oh, well, we step off the rig, step off the fire engine or truck. And it is steep, you know, and sometimes we've got our gear on. It's not the most, uh, you know, least cumbersome thing that we do. But um, at the same time, right from the beginning, I've always been like, that can't, like the human body is so much yeah. stronger and more resilient that people give it credit to. So we talked about, you know, some of the errors as far as strength and conditioning philosophies in general, in life, what are some of the things that are contributing to the Western developed world having knee pain specifically or knee injuries? Yeah. Well, it starts when we're young, when we're in school, we start sitting in chairs for like eight hours a day. So we get very used to that. Imagine, when we were 8, 9, 10, 11, if we were allowed, like I wasn't, you weren't allowed to get out of your chair and rest in a deep squat or you see the positions that kids naturally want to sit in. When you watch younger kids, they're in all these flexible knee and hip positions. So, so much of the, okay, eight-year-old kids don't have an epidemic of knee pain and they're going off the swing set and dropping from like six feet high and they're, they don't have an epidemic of knee pain. As we get older, we're trying to restore the very mobility that those kids have. 
So we can see it's not just like an absolute of strength that protects us, because here these kids aren't very strong, but they're very protected. So their joints are, are very strong. So then as we get older, I mean, if you think about the exercises we were doing today, first we were trying to get circulation going, and then really we were trying to restore youthful positions. We are trying to restore the mobility that we had when we were kids, and that tends to make the joints feel better. So I think right off the bat, when we're in school, if we're allowed to sit on the floor, so floor time, um, the supple leopard mobility man, Kelly Sturette. Yes. You've heard of him? Yep. All right. He's a legend in the mobility world. And he directly told me that that's one of the things that would really improve uh, people's joint health as they age is if when we were in school, if we were allowed to be out of the chair and, and, ha and sit on the floor. Just doing that alone would have kept our knees and hips much more mobile and pain-free. So I think that's like the simplest place to start in terms of uh, kind of what you were saying, deviations. And if you watch little kids, if you've ever watched a little kid go down the stairs, oh my gosh, their knee bends so much to go, like their knee is so far over their toes to go down the stairs. So then as we get older and then something like going down the stairs or a big step down the stairs, um, Really, we should probably be able to handle that, no problem. Uh, even in a natural lifestyle, if we were out in the jungle or whatever, we'd be walking down hills or stepping over rocks. So the, these would actually be pretty normal motions. Um, but we get we get so far removed, the joint gets so weak, all of a sudden that becomes painful. And then it's kind of a dwindling spiral because I went through it where you go, you're searching for which drug or which surgery will fix this pain when that can band-aid things or maybe give you a reset but then it's like you're starting right back over well we just had a gentleman walk by not super super old cane you wow. know pronated feet just you know shuffling across and it, that's what breaks my heart whether yeah. it's obesity whether i mean he's still within view now and he walked yeah. past about 10 minutes ago um you know terrible whether it's a veteran that got hurt whether yeah. it's someone who had you know chronic pain we, this is what our country consists of, you know, a majority of 70% uh, is obese or overweight. And so I think that there is a, a push from the wellness perspective now, people like yourself, that is coming from an altruistic part. Like it breaks my heart. It's not about yep. fat shaming. Yep. I'm heartbroken to see someone who's morbidly obese because I know what they could have been. Yep. I know what their, their body could have done, as you said. I know they could have played with their children. Yep. They could have done all these things. And because of the way they were taught and their environment, and everyone points to personal responsibility, I get it, but that's a byproduct of your environment and your yep. upbringing. You know, we've done such a disservice to our people that, you know, now, I mean, you talk about surgery and opiates, it's another thing. I mean, we have an opiate epidemic and many, many of those, when you go to the root cause, it starts with some sort of injury or surgery. Yep. Yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you. And for me, at first, it was like, it would break my heart to see a 12 or 13-year-old kid told that their knee pain was growing pains because that's been shown now. That doesn't actually exist. Like, there are some certain pains that can occur during those years, but not in relation to something like knee pain. Like, if your knee hurts, your knee actually hurts. It's not, there's no just natural, um, yeah, your knee is supposed to hurt because you're growing. And so for some of those kids who didn't have as vigorous of lifestyles and the hormones kick in and the muscles develop, but then for other ones, they go from being told it's growing pains 
to then it's a full-blown condition. Imagine being 13, 14, and you're told that you have like, oh, you have Osgood Schlatter's disease. So I was at, when I was 12, 13, 14, I had diseases in my knees, as told by doctors. I have diseases. I had syndromes. So now you're 13, 14, 15, 16, and you have diseases and syndromes in your knees that come to find out all those diseases and syndromes handled with just basic human motion and compression. So you're right that, you know, a disservice is being done. It is a broad scale thing. Um, The odds of an individual having the intuition to know that the system is wrong, to not do it and then come up with answers themselves. You're talking about like one in a million, like the, like that's, that's nearly impossible to do. So for people going through it, yeah, the, the system is set up in a way that it's almost like a factory of these problems not going away. So, I mean, that's why people like you and I are doing what we're doing. No, absolutely. Well, it reminds me as well, the, the, the foundation training founder, Eric, he talks about carpal tunnel syndrome and how, you know, people slice and dice these poor people's hands yeah. when ultimately the root is coming from, you know, the, the spine itself. And once they fix the shoulders and the neck, that pain goes away. Yeah. You know, so that's, there's so much power in this preventative movement practice. But, you know, again, back to the, the uh, personal responsibility, it takes work. Like yeah. my back rehab journey that I was on for five months was painful. It was hard. It was, you know, mentally and physically very, very challenging. But long term, it paid dividends. Yep. But again, with that environment, conversely, I could have gone, yeah. had some pills, had surgery, Felt good for a bit, maybe, but I've got two friends of firefighters and one has had multiple surgeries now. The other one's on his second so far. And, you know, they just continue to spiral downwards. And again, it's heartbreaking. If they had done what I did, is it an absolute guarantee? No, but there's a high chance that it would have fixed it. (laughs) Yeah, nothing's a guarantee, but there's, you have such a high chance um, if you find a route that has worked for other people with your issues rather than doing just the short-term band-aid treatments hard now or hard later the option that's easy now but hard later it usually ends up being pretty disastrous later and with a lot of these physical issues when we just um when we stop when we stop the activity portion of it the the weight just piles up on the body and we know that having excess weight makes it much tougher on the joints and the back like if you i don't know it's it keeps improving, but if you Google, like, what can I do about knee pain? Um, the last time I checked, Google doesn't give you anything you can actually do about knee pain, only Band-Aids, other than it says you can lose weight and that that will help your knees. Well, without a route, how the heck are you supposed to lose weight? Because for someone who's never had joint problems, it's often like, I got motivated, I started running X amount of miles a day, And I lost a hundred pounds, but what about the person who was fine, then had knee surgeries. Now the weight has piled on. They can't go run. Now you're stuck. What do you do? So, and spoiler alert, sled, sled is because (laughs) even if you have excess body weight, that actually makes it easier to move the sled because Mm -hmm. your weight is moving against it. Leaning into it. So as you, it gives you something that's low impact on the joints that gets your strength training and cardio in. And you, so you can lose the body fat and get stronger at the exact same time while making your joints even more healed. So it is, that's why I go on and on about the sled because it's the human cheat code for these physical problems. Well, it was interesting as well because 
when I started doing this, I, I had knee surgeries and, you know, both my meniscus were teared, teared, torn. Yep. There we go. Um, one worse than the other. And, you know, it was one of the things where it was locking up and as progressive and movement focused as I was at that time, all the things I was doing didn't seem to help. And it was, you know, a thing that was flapping around in my knee. So I'm like, okay, for now, I'm going to get it snipped. I hope one day stem cells maybe get to the point where I'll be yeah. able to get a regeneration. But, yeah. um, but then I don't, I don't even know what really was the reason, but it started getting worse again recently. I'm, I'm do jujitsu. I do stunts. I do oh, you wow. know, crossfits. There's a whole bunch of things I do yeah. that, of course, you know, batter my knees a little bit, but finding your, your system, it truly has helped. And I was just telling you before we were recording, we do this draw in jujitsu that used to make my knees click and they don't anymore. Wow. And you know, the, the, um, split squat that we did today, you know, when yeah. I first did that, that was very painful. That's a lot stronger now. So I've seen it. I've seen it work. And you know, that, I think that's just it is, the, when when someone comes up with something like you have, like Eric has, that's truly solving some of these issues, it's so powerful because then once you address that one week link, as you said, now you have confidence. So for me, when I'm getting stronger. Now I'm able to lift more. Now I'm able to go back to, to jiu-jitsu, back to CrossFit. Yep. So kind of like when I talk about CBD, I love CBD, but it's just a, it's a chock that you fill a, a wedge, you know, a gap that allows you then to sleep better. Then you start training more. So CBD isn't a magic pill. It's a little buffer to get you on, even with knee pain. You know, if if it's allowing you to do a little bit more ATG, then beautiful. But it's these practices then that open the door, as you said, to that journey where you truly start, you know, making gains everywhere else. Yeah. Yeah, and that's how I look at the sled. It allows us to get some momentum going. And I still look at the human body that it's, it is still relatively a frail thing, but... I'm just so grateful that there's stuff we can do about it. So that's kind of where my mindset stays is like, I'm not trying to give people a magic pill. I'm trying to teach them what they can actually do about it to improve conditions to some degree. So I try to keep it pretty realistic. Um, and to me, that's, that's the gift. I'm appreciative for it every day. I keep a list of what I'm appreciative for. And like one of the things I'm appreciative for is just the knowledge that I know how to go use a sled and instantly start getting that circulation that I can go get a workout in five minutes. That's going to make my body last longer. Well, in the fire service, I think one of the challenges that we have is when, like, again, talk about environment, the fire department are fighting uphill. Like they work 56 hour weeks, usually don't sleep every third day. Sometimes they get told they can't go home, you know, they have to stay another one. So their their environment is absolutely set up for failure. So the ones that are very fit and healthy is despite the environment, usually not because of it. And so you get a lot of responders five, ten years into their career that just aren't the stellar men and women that stood on that draw ground day one. And they there's this, there's an element of guilt and shame attached to it. And what I found with the sled and the, some of the strongman training that I do is it's also a great tool to remove all that fear of looking stupid. Yep. So, you know, we could come in here and you could all right, James, we're going to do Turkish get-ups and we're going to do some snatches. Yep. You know, my skill level dictates whether I can even do those. Right. But if you just say, hey, put this around your waist and walk backwards, it's equally as effective. It actually mirrors fire ground tasks. So for my community, yeah. backwards is dragging someone out of a fire, forwards wow. is advancing a charge hose line. So you can literally... Wow. but you remove any kind of fear of looking stupid, which yeah. I found is a big barrier for a lot of people. Yep. So the sled is a, an incredible tool for removing the kind of skill element and allowing people just to do the work itself. That's super interesting. Yeah. 
fear of how you look doing it, fear of joint pain doing it, um, fear of how much time it's going to take to do it. So yeah, I think like in a firehouse and if you didn't necessarily have turf in a sled, there's still the, um, the torque fitness makes this tank sled that uses internal resistance. And if you belt up, you can still do the push. You can still do the push and the pull forward and backward and that you can just wheel and the, the whole staff can be using it. And I mean, you even go, you even see like how much ground can you cover forward and backward in five minutes. And I mean, it's like the workout of a lifetime. So I feel like that torque fitness tank sled is very realistic for a firehouse because you, you don't have to, you don't have to mess with the layout. It's a very small device that you can keep in a corner or something, and then you can use it anywhere. You can use it on the street. You can use it anywhere. So I, I do feel like that is going to be the one that's more realistic. And it's not like it's the cheapest thing ever, but for a full-on, you know, maybe for a 12-year-old kid, that's a lot to save up for. But for like a firehouse, it's actually like a pretty affordable piece of equipment. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, do you this, know the one I'm talking about? Yeah, with the wheels. It's over there in the corner. Yeah. Like I keep one there so that I can demo it to people in here if they want to see it. Yeah. No, I think that's fantastic. Because normally firehouses will have, you know, like we call an apron front and back. So you'll have concrete. Yep. So a regular sled works well. Yep. But then you take, you know, FDNY, they might not be able to drag a sled up and down the, the sidewalks there. But yeah, a, it kind of depends on the surface with a regular sled. Yeah, exactly. Metal sled. That's why you felt how smooth it is in here on the turf. Mm -hmm. So a metal sled on turf is my favorite, but my second favorite is one of those tank sleds on really any surface. Yeah. Now talk to me about shoulders. So your zero um, program, which I've been doing for, I think, 10 weeks now, eight, eight 10 weeks, um, there's the rings on you know, alternating days. Yeah. And you're getting the ring rows and the ring push-ups all the way, like full, full range of motion again. Yeah. So. Um, Ido Portal, uh, one of the movement guys I had on, I haven't had on. I did his program. Um, he talks about the um, the deep squat, holding that for thirty minutes cumulatively yeah. over a day, My gosh. and then hanging for yeah. five minutes. Wow! So talk to me about the shoulder health element of what you yeah, do. Yeah, um, I keep it pretty similar to the how we address the knees, and the idea is to restore a full range of motion push up, which someone could do like on their knees. Um, you can also, like if you have dumbbells, you can lay back on a bench and instead of, instead of just having an overhand grip, like if you were in a fight and you were going to throw a punch, you wouldn't just be standing there with an overhand grip. You would actually reach your arms back with more of a neutral grip. Yeah. And then you, so that's how we press dumbbells. So we put the bench to an incline and we hold the, the dumbbells with a neutral grip. That way the dumbbell doesn't run into the shoulder. So with a normal grip, the dumbbell will stop short and it'll hit the chest. But if you rotate your grip more parallel than the dumbbell, you can get your full range of motion. So we try to restore a full range of motion in the shoulder while then strengthening everything back behind that shoulder, which is weak for almost all humans. Um, so in zero, we're really just trying to restore full range of motion push-up with excellent control on, on a rowing motion for back behind the shoulders. But once it gets into the actual like program with weights and equipment, we do, uh, like tomorrow we have four different like shoulder elbow exercises yesterday, Tuesday, we trained upper body. We'd even trained the neck, the grip. So we're just trying to work out, um, when it comes to the shoulders, we're trying to work out all those weak links and we're trying to restore full range of motion. That's kind of my entire program is basically, um, trying to correct modern human deficiencies. 
if I just had to summarize my entire program in a sentence. Correcting the most common modern human deficiencies. Mm -hmm. So it was interesting. I had um, Dr. Rocket on, who is the uh, uh, orthopedic surgeon for CrossFit. So he's the one that's actually on staff on the oh, games. Wow. Um, super nice guy, super down to earth. And he was talking about the different kind of injuries. And he said in CrossFit, they don't see as many knee injuries. It's more shoulder, especially, I think, from all the, the kipping and, you know, the, the explosive Olympic barbell work. Um, but he said more, you know, like the kind of basketball, hockey, you know, when you, when you have those extreme changes in direction and deceleration, acceleration. Um, so the shoulder health obviously is a big thing for a lot of the CrossFitters out there. Um, yeah. I've, been okay i think it's the foundation training understanding you know ring rows and the strict posterior work that's helped me yep. a little bit but when you have you know steering wheels computer keyboards cell phones you know you just see that kind of forward yep. shoulder carriage that so many people We're have there. now <laughs> that's yeah. modern life so we i feel like we have to do something to unwind that um and in crossfit it would make sense because crossfit does use more of a full range of motion with the knees but with the shoulders, doesn't use as much of a full, like it's still more um, in those mid ranges of motion, whereas the knees, you get more of a full range of motion. And I think for, I think that's probably the case for like really elite CrossFitters, but I feel like the the day-to-day -day CrossFitters, if they're not coming into it with pretty solid knees, then it can quickly bounce out like that you said that's the orthopedic doctor like for CrossFit. So he's probably working with a lot of elite yes. CrossFitters. If he were to interview a bunch of people who had quit CrossFit in the first month or two, it's often because their knees can't handle those positions. So my passion is not only is my passion not rivaling CrossFit, my passion is actually just getting ATG into CrossFit gyms. So a number of these, of the 600 plus ATG coaches, uh, the highest background of them is CrossFit because what they're seeing is, let's say they have their CrossFit schedule at their gym they're seeing they can deliver some ATG classes, not mess with their CrossFit classes, but deliver some ATG classes. Now they can train more of the people in the community because any age can do it. And they can take people who maybe are like, boy, I'd like, I'd like to do CrossFit four days a week, but my body can't handle it. Now they can do two days CrossFit, two days ATG. So I feel that's where the, I feel the greatest potential for ATG is actually just being used to assist CrossFit gyms. CrossFit already made it. CrossFit is everywhere. Cross, everywhere I look up from Costa Rica to Korea has CrossFit gyms. So CrossFit made it and it's there and the gym has a fairly open setup. And in our system, like where's the machines? Like we don't use, <laughs> we use very basic equipment, not like big, um, gym machinery. Yeah. So, uh, to me, it seems like a really smooth transition. A lot of these CrossFit coaches are just getting amazing results and their gym is becoming a lot more profitable because you already have all the gym costs. Now you deliver your CrossFit classes. Now, if you can throw on a few more classes and reach different people in your community uh, or retain members who might otherwise have to cancel because of injuries, um, I, like, I think it's there. I think ATG is probably there to support CrossFit perhaps more than anything else. Well, it's been interesting because I, I got into CrossFit in 06. Um, and so I've seen, you know, like 15, 16 years worth of, you know, ups and downs. And, and definitely when the game started to become more popular, I saw the injuries go up because people weren't leaving their egos at the door. You yep. know, it was, I want to be the next, you know, Rich Froning or yep. whoever. 
um, people learning butterfly pull-ups before they can even do strict. And so, you know, as a coach, I could see that. Luckily, it's, I think it's swung completely the other way now where understanding of physiology and um, accessory work and mobile, you know, mobility has really been prioritized now, which is beautiful. So tools like ATG, I think, are, you know, there's no better time to have them than now when that community is finally understanding you know, let's create that balance in the body and yep. let's take the weight off the barbell and let's get yep. you moving full range of motion without pain. And then we can start building you back up again. Yep. Yeah. I, I think it's wonderful. I'm really excited for that future with CrossFit. So talk to me about, um, the older population. Yeah. I know that your mom is kind of like the, the poster yeah. child for ATG for the senior community. I mean, just how I was trying to get myself where I could play basketball with my parents I was trying to get a system that they actually wanted to show up and do the workouts. So a lot of trainers have noted that their own parents are the toughest clients to get them to train. And it's pretty simple. Regressions and also the sled. The sled is my parents' favorite tool, both of them. And now I've been able to use it. Uh, when I was last in LA, my neighbor was 82 and he loved the sled. So like to me, that's the coolest thing that the sled is my number one tool that makes me able to go out and dunk a basketball on the weekend and feel like a million bucks but it's also for my 82 year old neighbor with no exercise experience he's able to do the forward and the backward with the sled and get an incredible workout so my parents it really just accelerated that learning process to realize like wow the, the sled is the key for the older generation and from there it increases the circulation so that you can even whatever else you're trying to accomplish in the program you can have more success with it well, we did the sled today. We did the, the push and the pull. Yeah. Um, and I heard you talk about the relationship between being able to walk backwards as a senior yeah. and falling. Now, in my response, you know, my community, we respond to the broken pelvises and hips. And, yep. you know, from the ex-phys side and the medical side, you learn that a lot of people that have that injury often don't ever recover. It's yep. kind of like the one nail in the coffin kind of thing. So talk to me about that relationship and as, as a kind of diagnostic tool. And again, um, I don't know if it's anecdotally, some of the, the people that were very um, fragile that you've seen build back up through this training. Yeah. So it's a direct correlation and a direct training process of dragging the sled backward so that you can go downstairs. So when you go downstairs, every single step is knee over toe, knee over toe, knee over toe. So if you were to imagine going downstairs and if you film that, and then if you put that on rewind, you're doing the exact same motion when you drag a sled backwards. So when you're dragging a sled backward, you're preparing yourself to go downhill. You're preparing yourself to go downstairs. So the stronger you get at that, the easier those activities become. But with the sled, it's not like an exercise where you have weights on your back and where you have that potentially injurious factor. Meaning if I put a thousand pounds on a sled and I ask my mom, to drag it backwards most likely it just wouldn't move like most likely she'd be fine she'd just be standing there and it's mm, just leaning <laughs> she's just hooked up to a thousand pounds yeah she'd just be leaning so okay if she leaned backward against a thousand pounds she'd just be standing there but if i put a thousand pounds on a bar and put it on her shoulders it would crush her body so there's this fundamental difference between using a sled as the resistance versus using free weights on top of your body as the resistance. So we do use free weight exercises, but those are specific things and we don't, we don't overdo them. Whereas the sled we found we can do 
daily. We can really use the sled more often to get through those shit zones and get restored and get into shape and get fit and get stronger. So when we go forward with the sled, it's wonderful for the toes and for the glutes. And a lot of us lose from all the sitting. We lose that quote unquote, like, you know, connection or activation to the glutes. So when you go forward with the sled, it's unbelievable for opening up the feet, getting rid of foot pain, Achilles pain, and getting the glutes to wake up. And then when you go backward, it's unbelievable for your knee health. And it's something that, that an older person can do. And yes, if they've found studies correlating your ability to walk backward with not falling down the stairs, well then walking backward and getting stronger at that motion, it's almost safer because the sled like slows you down and allows you to really train the strength of that quality. So I think if they ever tested that, it would be like straight up miraculous. Now, speaking of, of foot health for a second, you're wearing zero shoes. I had the founder, Stephen Sashin, yeah. on here. I'm a huge barefoot fan. I mean, I get ridiculed on my gym all the time. My feet, yeah. I've probably got some of the ugliest feet on the planet. But it just makes perfect sense to me. Again, if you reverse yeah. engineer so many issues, we didn't have shoes. And even if we, you know, as we did in culture, it was a very thin kind of layer just to stop, you know, rocks and things from penetrating the skin. So kind of what what's your philosophy on barefoot and or minimalist shoes when it comes to your training my viewpoint on the barefoot shoe is trying to restore what's natural but let's look at what's natural it wouldn't be natural to wear a shoe a nike air that has this giant heel and then this narrow toe box jamming up our foot putting pressure on our knees that wouldn't be natural i also don't think it'd be natural to be walking on concrete all day so natural life, I think, is actually quite aggressive for the barefoot shoes. So I wear barefoot shoes all the time. I even play basketball in barefoot shoes. But I wouldn't advise someone to just jump into that transition. Now, you're here in the gym, and we're on turf. So this is, much, this is a softer material, much more like what you would experience if you're out in the wild. Softer mud, grass, sand. That's more natural for the foot. So yeah, if you were just barefoot on like sand or grass or mud, that would be the most natural. So I like people to wear barefoot inspired shoes when they do their sled work. So barefoot inspired shoe with sled work is now really allowing your foot to move and strengthen. Um, outside of that, ideally, if your shoe doesn't have a narrow toe box, because it's, if you think about like, if you look at your hand and if you put all your fingers together, and then if you spread your fingers apart, like which one's going to have better balance? Obviously, if you spread your fingers apart, you're going to have better balance and control. And so with the foot, as the foot gets unnaturally jammed together, you're now able to like handle less of the forces of life through your feet. Your feet are full of muscles that should be strong and mobile. So the less capable the feet, that force has to go somewhere. So it starts coming up through the shins. You're probably more likely to have shin splints, more likely to have patellar tendonitis. So kind of like with the rest. What am I trying to do? I'm just trying to restore what's natural. So unfortunately, we're in that kind of limbo where the world outside of us is concrete. So concrete everywhere is not natural, but Nike air cushions aren't natural. So I've got to the point where I can wear barefoot shoes all day, but maybe for someone else, maybe wear whatever the most like comfortable shoe is you can find that has a wide toe box. And then when you go do your exercise sessions, that's the time you really have a lot of potency for strength through your feet 
And so perhaps for your exercise sessions, wear like a barefoot inspired shoe. Beautiful. Yeah, I love it. I mean, that's, that's a very valid point. Concrete, my, my little boy's on the track team and I went and bought him some running shoes and I love the minimalist ones, but he's running multiple miles a day on concrete. So I think there has that's to be natural. that. natural. No, so you have to have a little bit more cushion just to absorb Right, that. that's very tricky because... Yeah. Yeah, you're wanting him to be natural, but the concrete is not natural for those miles. If he was running, in fact, um, like if you wanted to restore, quote unquote, running form, uh, like if you took your son and you had him uh, go to a field and take his shoes off and just run, he'd probably have just majestic form. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, like that, most people can restore their ability to run with the sled and most people can restore fair running form just by running barefoot in grass. Absolutely. Well, I'm sure people are fascinated to learn about ATG, kind of what what the week would look like if they subscribed and then where they can find it. Yeah, thank you very much for that. Um, so we currently train. I update the workouts every Saturday for the week ahead. So I'm constantly involved in the process. This week I set up the workouts for Monday through Friday. We went, we're doing our legs Monday, Thursday, upper body Tuesday, or sorry, legs, legs actually I set up for Monday, Friday this week, upper body Tuesday and Thursday and Wednesday mobility. So today we're working on mobility stuff. Tomorrow we'll actually work on more upper body mobility stuff. So I'm just trying to, I'm trying to spread out a five day schedule to cover everything from the toes to the wrist, to the neck, to the spine, to the hips. And that's atgonlinecoaching.com. And someone can do a two day a week, like gentle version of that. I have a book called ATG for life that was intended for longevity as a very confrontable starting program twice a week. And then you've also seen, uh, I have a book called knee ability zero. So I only have two books. One of them is no equipment at all, just body weight to rebuild from the ground up. The other one is more like a taste of my full program with two really gentle full body sessions. So I'm trying to just trying to provide solutions for anyone. Um, I love using the app and being able to see the workouts. I love working out five days a week. I love, you know, trying to get stronger, but in a way that makes me, that is going to make my body last a long time. But not everyone wants to do that. Someone might want to just do some body weight stuff. Someone might want to just do it two day a week. So all covered. Now with that, it's not just an app giving workouts. You have the ability to upload videos of yourself and get critiques. So expand on that. Well, when I made it, I didn't want to go online because I didn't like the idea of someone trying to do this stuff on their own. So the whole thing that I that I fine-tuned was being able to have a business model where someone can send in video of themselves on any of the exercises, any session, along with any questions, and be answered rapidly. So that's what I've always done since day one. And as we've grown, I'm just obsessive about the quality of the coaching, the response time. So for me good programs were like having a map like but i didn't get near the results until i actually went and met charles poliquin and he actually looked at my form and i actually got to like see how form review works and really understand the the value of coaching form of being able to have a question answered so i feel like i feel like where someone can get on their own when they're new to a subject or even if they've been in a subject a while but having a a having a coaching process, being able to get questions answered, that's, I feel like it's exponentially valuable, but there's no long-term contract. So someone could do it. Someone could literally just do a month and that'd be totally fine with us. Like we don't, it's, it's 
whatever, however long of the journey you want to be with ATG, that's our goal is to make it something that, that someone could afford because how much would it cost someone to get in-person training for this? Not everyone would be able to afford that. So I made my whole business model, like what would I have been able to afford back when I was, you know, a kid with totally terrible knees. So the business is kind of what I would have needed. Now you have the zero program as well, which is, as you said, all body weight. Um, I just went on a cruise. I'm actually about to go on another one next week. Oh, wow. And so obviously nowhere to drag a sled. Yeah. So, but they have treadmills. Oh yeah. So talk to me about that. You're, you're either in a hotel, you're, yeah. you're somewhere where you can't I mean, access a sled. I mean, I, I love getting on the treadmill, not turning it on, turning around and then spinning the wheel backward. Cause they often have some internal resistance, but I have to immediately say not all gym owners appreciate that. So, uh, <laughs> I've never had a problem with it, um, but some gym owners have said it can break the treadmill, but I'm kind of stuck in that limbo of like, treadmills are like three, four, five thousand dollars Sleds are, don't come near that. So I feel like there needs to be somewhat of a cultural shift to the treadmill is, the treadmill is doing too much of the job for the human. Yes. So we wind up with all kinds of weaknesses because we're not having to use muscles that we should have to use to, to move the treadmill. And so with the sled really puts it back on the human. You get so much more out of a sled than a treadmill. So when in doubt, I use that treadmill because <laughs> I'm okay with breaking the machine. I'll choose the human over the machine. But I do have to tell people, like, I'm not advising someone. Um, yeah, like, you should be aware and you should be respectful of, you know, what the rules are of that gym. Some some gym owners do it themselves. So it's it's really going to depend on the gym owner, whether they'll let you use the treadmill turned off and then spinning the wheel backward. Yeah, I know I got some funny looks, but yeah, <laughs> it worked. Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, I want to switch some closing questions so I can be mindful of your time. You talked about your two books. Are there any books that you love to recommend to people? It could be related to our discussion today or completely unrelated. I mean, I really enjoyed all of Charles Poliquin's books. Um, I'm sorry I don't have like a bunch more better recommendations, but That's a good recommendation. Yeah. So, I mean, if, it, it kind of varies what the prices are and where they're selling. Um, there's even one on that he wrote on strongman training. And so I don't use all that stuff. I just use the sled because it's so gentle. So the sled is the gentlest, but he actually has direct quotes in there about the sled. He says that if he was on a deserted Island and he could only do one thing, he'd have a sled. And if you've looked into his work, I think he had the most detailed and expensive gym setup I've ever seen. But even to him, with the most complex and expensive gym setup I've ever seen, right there in his book on strongman training, which he includes all the details of the sled, he says if he could only have one tool, it would be the sled. So I feel like that that's probably my number one recommendation. I think for like eight bucks or something, you can get like a scribbed account and read that book it's right on there so i think it's called i think it's called applied strongman training i want to say but if you search charles poliquin strongman training to me that would be my number one recommended book okay yeah and the price is a funny thing when i talk to people when they they ask about you know what what should we get for a fire station gym you know you can I get go that one it's a thinner book it's a much more affordable thinner book so it's not even like an expensive book so i think for a fire station phew, Charles Poliquin's strongman book. 
Okay. Yeah, but even the the, the equipment itself, you know. The, oh yeah. The, like you said, a treadmill. Uh, yeah. You, a, a elliptical with thousands of dollars. Right. Right. Start with one of those tank sleds. Mm-hmm. From Torque Fitness. Yeah. And sandbags. Best thing. I love sandbags I think too. The, yeah. Yeah. Yep. I, I think I think it's the best thing you could do for a firehouse. Beautiful. All right. Well, the next question. What about a movie and or documentary that you love? As the, it's the wrong timing. I've been over 400 days. I haven't watched a movie or a TV <laughs> show or Netflix. So it's just, it's not in my... It's You're going to have not, to watch The Motivation Factor. Yeah, yeah Make exactly. an exception. So then. that's my number one recommendation. There we go. Because that'll right. be the next thing I'm watching. So, <laughs> Brilliant. All right. Is there a person that you'd recommend to come on this podcast oh. as a guest to speak to the first responders, military, and associated professions of the world? I mean, that's a really good question. I mean, the first person I'd have to recommend is my training partner. Um, his name's Derek Williams. He goes by Mr. Infinity on Instagram, and he's 43. And he's my training partner because he comes in here and he kicks my ass on the sled every day. And he's at 43, he's got himself back dunking on the basketball court. So he, when you see him play basketball, like he's not 43, like this is a body in its 20s. So again, I, I think for... I think for uh, law enforcement and and, um, and fire department, longevity is so valuable. Health and longevity is so valuable um, that I just feel like anyone who can provide insight in that way, I feel like that's like the most valuable advice I could give. So um, yeah, he's the person who comes to mind. Now with all the research that you did, my, this yep. audience is a very sleep deprived audience and I attribute sleep deprivation to a lot of the mental ill health, a lot of the, the weight gain, the cancer, yep. the heart disease, you name it, everything. The importance of sleep for recovery and growth when it comes to musculoskeletal, what, what have you kind of, have you delved into that world at all? I, I, sleep is like one of my secret weapons. So I still did well in life on low sleep but I've done much better with sleep. And that was one of the primary reasons I cut out entertainment completely. So like I, it was to start 2021, I decided I just wouldn't do any entertainment for the whole year. No sports games, movies, Netflix, TV shows, nothing. And it's because now I fall asleep super early. So I'm this crazy guy who goes to sleep at 9.30. And I never could have imagined I would do that because earlier in my 20s, you're talking at least midnight seemed... Midnight seemed early. So um, by cutting that stuff out and going to sleep at like 9.30, you're talking, I'm getting eight plus hours of sleep a night. That's like my secret weapon. Um, For me, I did it more for the mental reasons of being able to be on point every day mentally. I mean, look, we're interviewing now. I trained this morning. I so, So much is going on and I have to be mentally sharp. But I think that for the body, I think that for the immune system, those are the two places I feel it the strongest. When I'm getting a lot of sleep, mentally, I do much better. And I feel like my immune system is just rock solid. I feel like if I start getting sleep deprived, I feel like my immune system is like, I, I feel like I can get sick very easily. So what do you think? Oh, I agree completely. And that's, that's the thing. I mean, my, you know, this, this community, the profession I was in, we are so sleep deprived, and then when, you know, when this this virus came, you know, it worried me because they they are more you know susceptible. And we had a lot of very healthy, fit firefighters and police officers that luckily did well despite that environment. But we lost we lost a lot this year too. Yeah. And I don't think it was you know that they were frail people, yep. but that year after year after year of losing sleep, 
Yep. You know, if you could delve in the sleep medicine world, it's the sleep debt is real. Like, yeah. you know, when you lose it, you lose it. And then when you look at the impact of a poor immune system, you see the cancers, the heart disease, yeah. the autoimmune disease, the, yeah. the mental health problems. That's, you know, we don't, we don't die from one thing. We <laughs> die from everything. And wow. that's the point. Wow. So it's real. Yeah. Yeah. Charles Polkin called sleep like the most underrated health factor. And so I just call it like my secret weapon. Like I think you can, I think you could survive and I think you can survive well on low sleep. But man, if you're surviving well on low sleep and you were also getting sleep, I feel like, I feel like we could all survive so much better. But there is so much good binge worthy content to watch at night. So many good TV shows and this and that, that again, it, it's kind of tough for us to shut off. And then we have, then we have that stimulating, those stimulating lights and screens that mm, we're looking blue at. Blue light. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's very tough to fall. Like you can't just snap your fingers and fall asleep. If you're someone who's used to going to sleep at midnight and watching TV, I used to, that's why I had to just like pull off the bandaid and try to go a whole year because I had this feeling at night that like I had to watch a TV show or two to wind down. I had that feeling, but by cutting that stuff out, boy, what happens when you put one and a half hours or so of sleep additional for a year straight like my immune system feels like a young mike tyson (laughs) yeah i did the same thing with alcohol so i've i've always said this i've never binge drink i really didn't but i relied on it heavily to decompress in the evening yep um especially more so towards the end of my career and did the 30 day stops and would just be right back at it again um, yep. when I was done. So actually, about six and a half weeks ago, I made the decision to just stop, stop. Wow! Not I'm going to stop for X amount of time. I'm going to wow. stop, and that in itself, you know, I'm going to bed earlier because you think that it winds you down. It doesn't. You can yeah. buy an alcohol with television. You're still wide awake at 11:30 at night. Oh, interesting. Now I've taken that out. I'm actually getting tired earlier wow. and earlier and earlier. So, so that's another thing. But it's interesting with that same mindset with television that applies with alcohol what if a challenge that and wow don't turn on a tv but just read instead you know how how much sooner would i get drowsy then man is that productive too <laughs> yeah yeah very interesting all right well then speaking of that so when you are not doing all the incredible things that you're doing what do you do to decompress uh really enjoy my family and my dog so uh like i can't wait every morning i can't wait for my i take my dog like down here by the water we go on like a big loop every morning maybe it's a mile mile and a half two mile maybe about a mile and a half but like i look forward to that walk every morning and then the evening like really look forward to time with my family so i i also feel like that's very fortunate if i was just a single guy um i feel like that created when i was living on my own i feel like it created the habits of watching tv at night and stuff because you don't you don't have someone you don't have a, a counterpart there yeah so i feel like having my wife made it a million times easier because we kind of grew to where it was like super enjoyable. All right. The phones are off. Now we get to actually like hang out, chat, bond. Um, so that was, that's the, that's the only things I've been able to find to replace that <laughs> family and, uh, my dog. What about you? Uh, same. Yeah. It's yeah. funny. Cause I bought my dog. Actually, I've got a puppy now. So three times oh a day, oh but yeah, gosh. the morning one is, about the same distance, actually, about a mile and a half. The evening one is a shorter one because yep. my one dog is 10, 
10, oh, wow. just over 10. So she's a little slower. Yeah. Um, but in the middle one, I'll, I'll yeah. just destroy the puppy to get her tired. Yeah. Dogs are great but companions. They are. And then again, I leave my phone at home. It's my yeah. kind of walking meditation time. Oh, wow. Well. That's really smart. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think I'd be able to do the no entertainment stuff at night if I didn't have family and or a dog. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, then um, for people that want to subscribe to ATG where do they find that and where's the best place to follow you on social media yeah appreciate it atgonlinecoaching.com is where someone can dive in and do my program uh, I highly recommend reading a book first to see if you like it that way there's no pressure um, so by, my books are on Amazon Neability Zero and ATG for Life and I'm on Instagram YouTube uh, TikTok and Facebook as Knees Over Toes Guy and are you still offering the half off the first month? Yeah, I think we're just going to do that all year. Okay, Get so that's fit a great 2022 one. makes it $20 and 22 cents no long-term contract for someone who wants to dive in and ask questions and have their form coached. Perfect. Yeah, it's a pretty pretty risk-free trial. Yeah, I appreciate that. Brilliant. All right, well Ben, I just want to say thank you. I mean, I came down here, you know, I got to train with you. We yeah. went and had steak for lunch. Yeah. Now we did this, so I truly appreciate your time Man, today. I, I really appreciate you. You have to drive back, so it means a lot to me. Thanks for coming. Yeah.